Welcome to On The Money Line, a podcast by MMA Play 365. I'm Newsom, and I'm here to break down the pay-per-view which goes down this weekend, UFC 289, which is headlined by a title fight between Amanda Nunes and Irene Aldana. Admittedly, look, this is one of the weaker pay-per-views that I can remember and recall off the top of my head. There's just not that many superstars on the card. There's no fights where it's rank one versus rank two or you know title contender fights or anything like that obviously we've got the women's bantamweight championship with Nunes and Aldana but outside of that look the co-main event's good I'll give it that you know Charles Dobronx Oliveira versus Benil Dariush but again out of you know that's probably the best fight on the card Oliveira and Dariush outside of that it's very weak and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm also really interested, just away from the breakdown side of stuff, how many pay-per-view buys this event's actually going to have. Because like I said, it's not something that really excites me personally. And look, I love fights. I'm going to be tuning in. I'm going to be watching the card regardless. But it's not something that overly excites me, especially when it comes to a pay-per-view. You need that anticipation, excitement, the hype. And I just don't feel that this card's quite got it. But just before we get into the breakdowns, as always, there is going to be a Bayes AI recap from our UFC prediction software from last weekend's event at UFC Vegas 74, which of course was headlined by Amir Albazi and Kaikara France. So if you are interested in AI, which is a hot topic at the minute in many different industries, obviously including the wider technological industries, if you are interested in the AI and interested in AI for MMA in the UFC, then... Definitely check out the recaps that I provide on the MMA Play 365 YouTube channel where I talk about the statistics, where I talk about the numbers that the AI was producing for every single possible outcome of a UFC fight for every event, every fight within that event as well. And then obviously talking about where the value was lying. I'll provide some education pieces in there of how to use the AI for betting as well. So yeah, if you're interested in AI and AI for the UFC and MMA, then definitely check that out. That's youtube.com forward slash MMA play 365. And all the Bayes AI recaps are in the specific AI playlist within the YouTube channel itself. But now let's get into some breakdowns. And of course, we start with the headline, the main event, Amanda Nunes versus Irene Aldana for the Women's UFC Bantamweight Championship. Now, this was actually supposed to be, you know, another fight between Nunes and Pena. Pena's pulled out and the UFC have put Aldana in there, which is actually really interesting because I kind of feel, although Pena was probably rightful for another shot at Nunes, kind of feel like Aldana's the harder fight for Nunes at the same time and I think it actually makes it a better fight just because look with Irene Aldana she's a really good boxer she's got good striking she's got underrated power as well for the division which is something that definitely needs to be taken into consideration especially when you're looking at Nunes who is also another woman with insane power and able to put fighters out knock them out so here from a striking perspective we've got a really interesting fight and I kind of feel like if Nunes goes toe-to-toe with Aldana for 25 minutes here Aldana's got every chance of winning this fight where it becomes difficult for Aldana is the fact that look this isn't a boxing bout it's not a kickboxing bout it's MMA and if Nunes does start mixing things up, body lock takedowns, getting Arena Aldana down to the map, you know, you look at Aldana versus home. Aldana's got some form of takedown defense. Of course she has. She wouldn't be in this position if she didn't. But she can be taken down. And when she is taken down, she can be held down as well. Again, 
She doesn't have terrible jujitsu. She won't make life too easy for her opponent on top. But eventually, again, like Holly Holm did, once you do smother Aldana and start to spend more and more time in top control and then the round ends, you've lost the round, you come out again, you get taken down again. You know, the morale and the mentality just starts being a little bit defeated just naturally. So... From Nunez's perspective, I think she's got a real advantage in this fight. The fact that she is the one that's going to be more likely, you know, looking to get the fight down to the mat. She is the better wrestler. She is the better grappler. And from a striking perspective, like I said, you probably give Nunez the edge there as well. But it's just in the striking that gives Aldana every chance of just being able to pop at Nunez and just land strikes on Nunez. And look, we saw what Juliana Pena's already done to Nunez as well, which shocked the world. So Aldana, for me does have a real chance of winning this fight and beating Nunes. It's just how likely does that happen? And I'm just not sure. Look, it's, at this point, it's difficult to, you know, pick or bet against Amanda Nunes, even though the line is probably dog or pass, in my opinion. I do feel that, like I said, Aldana's got a real chance. And I, I for one, won't be shocked if Aldana gets a hand raised at the end of the, the fight. But for that to happen... The majority of the fight has got to play out on the feet. And even if Nunes isn't coming into this fight with any wrestling or grappling intentions, I think that once she starts flowing with Aldana and the punch exchanges start happening, the striking exchanges start happening, I do think that Nunes as a champion and the greatest of all time, I do feel that she's going to make those in-cage adjustments and think, okay, right, the striking's maybe a little bit closer than what I'd have liked. Let's start mixing things up. And I think Nunes is going to be the more willing fighter in those wrestling grappling scenarios. I do think she's the fighter that will make those in-cage adjustments, but also the only fighter out of the two to make those adjustments because Aldana, I'd be shocked if she decided to start going for takedowns here. I definitely think that Amanda Nunes is the one with multiple paths to victory because I do think Nunes could win a striking battle over five rounds or knock Aldana out. And I do think Nunes can also take Aldana down and potentially get a submission or get the top control time over 25 minutes and win there as well. So there's multiple paths to victory for Amanda Nunes. I think Aldana is going to be a very game opponent, but I think that although, like I've said a couple of times already, although I do think she's got a real chance of winning, you know, it's not going to be a whitewash. I do think she's going to fall short on the night. So for those reasons, I'm picking Amanda Nunes and still the UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion. And in the next fight in the co-main event, this is the best fight on the card and the one that I'm looking forward to the most. We've got Charles Dobronx Oliveira versus Benil Dariush. Now, for Oliveira, this is going to be his first fight in a long time that's going to be outside of five rounds. We've only got three rounds of Oliveira this time. Of course, he's not the champion anymore. And because of that, of course, when he's not headlining, he's now fighting three-round fights. And I don't even know how much difference it makes, if I'm being honest, because Oliveira fights never really go five rounds. So I don't think it makes too much difference. I think it's a really good fight. From Benil Dariush's perspective, this has got to be the fight that gets him that title shot should he beat Charles Oliveira, because he's been on the brink of it now for quite a while. He's been on that line where, you know, arguably he should have been given a title shot, but I do think this is now the one. And I'm pretty sure he said that the UFC have confirmed should he beat Oliveira that he will get that title shot. So hopefully if he does win, then he does get that title shot that he has been deserving of for quite a while now. But first things first, he's got to get past Charles Oliveira and we know that's no easy task. And I think that this is a really well-matched fight because 
Benil Darius has got the jiu-jitsu to allow him not to get run over by Charles Oliveira. But I do still think that if we see a lot of moments grappling in this fight, I still think Charles Oliveira is the better grappler. Although, you know, we know Darius is no joke. He's solid, he's capable, and he's normally the better grappler in pretty much every fight that he fights in. But in this specific fight, I don't think he's the better jiu-jitsu player. Now, in regards to where I'm concerned for Oliveira, it's the fact that he does get dropped and hurt a lot. And I do think that where Poirier, Gaethje and Chandler to an extent were a little bit cautious about getting in the guard of Oliveira once he was hurt. Benil Dariush is more like the Islam Makachev that isn't going to have that fear of jumping into the guard of Oliveira should he hurt him. And obviously that's where we saw Islam Makachev finish Oliveira. He hurt him, dropped him, jumped on top of him whilst he was probably still a little bit out of it and subbed him. And Dariush has got that same quality. The thing is though, I kind of think that Dariush is striking and this is where the fight gets really interesting in my opinion. I kind of feel like the the striking of Dariush is a it's effective and powerful, but I don't think it's super technical. I think Charles Oliveira is the more technical striker. Oliveira's got this weird deceptive power himself where he will tag his opponents, hurt them, straight punches down the middle. He's got hooks that will rock and hurt his opponents as well. But inside the clinch, he's got knees, he's got elbows. I think Oliveira is the better striker, the more efficient striker, and the more varied striker as well. And I also think that Oliveira, as long as... He's okay after round one. I think that Darius naturally just slows down a little bit in regards to his strike. And you look back at the Diego Ferreira fight, yeah? In the third round of that fight, Ferreira was landing some really good shots on Darius. Darius had sort of tired a little bit. He'd overworked himself. His hands were, were dropping a little bit lower. His head movement was a little bit less. His movement was less and a little bit slower. And I feel that Oliveira can grow into this fight against Darius. I'm just, like I said, it's just a weird one because Oliveira does get hurt and look, Darius hits hard. I think if, like, Gage is dropping Oliveira, I think if Chandler's dropped Oliveira and Poirier's hurt Oliveira, I do think that Darius can do that as well. But again, the those three fights that I've mentioned, this is the strange thing with this fight because Oliveira is coming into, or he's likely to come into this fight as an underdog, but... Man, the dude put a, the dude not only beat but put away Poirier, Michael Chandler. He put away Justin Gaethje. You know these are world class fighters. Sure, he fell short against Makachev, but guess what? Everybody in the division falls short against Makachev. So I don't think you can hold that against Oliveira. But the guys that he's been beating and putting away is just insane. It's just the manner of how that's happened. The fact that he's had to get dropped and back up to his feet and restart so look I think if Darius drops him and hurts him badly I think Darius will get on top and potentially sub him or finish him I don't think Darius is going to have any fear jumping into the guard of Oliveira but if that doesn't happen I think it's going to be a close and competitive fight I think Charles Oliveira is going to be the better striker I think he's going to land a lot of strikes I think the longer the fight goes on the more strikes he lands I think if the fight hits the mat and it's Oliveira on bottom, I think he's going to be absolutely fine. I don't think uh, a fresh and unrocked version of Charles Oliveira has got anything to fear from Darius's jiu-jitsu on top of him. Oliveira will be throwing up submissions. He should be able to sweep or stand back up to his feet. And if Oliveira's on top of Darius, Darius can be a bit tricky and a bit of a nightmare and start to cause scrambles himself. But once Oliveira 
maintains a solid position, such as the Tony Ferguson fight, for example, I think he could have some success on top of Dariush. It's just I don't think Oliveira's wrestling necessarily is going to be good enough to get Dariush down. It might have to be, you know, a back take, sneaking around the back against the cage in the clinch or something like that. This fight is just a phenomenal fight, in my opinion. I do, however lean towards the previous champion, the ex-champion, the one that's coming off the wins against the best fighters in the world. Dariush, unfortunately, if he loses this fight, all the hard work that he's done to get to this position where he is in a title contention type of fight, should he win, I think might end up being, not obviously not a waste, but I think it, it's, it's going to be unfortunate if it plays out the way I think it's going to play out. But like I said, Unless Dariush rocks Oliveira, knocks him out, or gets on top and you know club and sub type of fight, I do feel it's it's Charles Oliveira who is the better fighter, who's shown no signs of decline, who's got finishing ability on the feet and on the mat as well. And look, maybe it's just a case of I've not got the best reads on Charles Oliveira's fights because I tend I tended to bet against him quite a lot during that insane run up to him becoming a champion and then even in the title defences as well, just because I was always concerned of him getting dropped and knocked out. But it always turned out that he was getting dropped and hurt, but not knocked out and back up to his feet and then finishing the opponent once they couldn't get him out of there. Now he's fighting outside of being a champion against a lesser opponent and Darius in my opinion when you're comparing it to your Oliver sorry when you're comparing it to your Poirier Gaethje and Chandler and now I'm picking Oliveira and maybe you know it's it's not the right side maybe I just don't have the best reads on Charles Oliveira's fights but for me I just find it really hard to look against Charles Oliveira in this fight now against Benil Dariush. So, look, it's going to be a great fight. It's going to be competitive. I think we're going to see a bit of everything. But for me, I'm picking Charles Oliveira to win this fight. And in the next fight, we've got Mike Malott versus Adam Fugit. Now, for Adam Fugit, you know, last time out against Kinoshita, really good win as a massive underdog. A lot of people would, you know, just throwing Kinoshita in the parlays. And, you know, thinking that he was going to absolutely run through Fugit. And Fugit just, you know, proved that he's tough, he's durable. And, you know, he's not easy to look good against and easy to get out of there. Mike Malott, on the other hand, is a fighter that, you know, for me, I quite like Mike Malott. I think he's a fighter that's a little bit flying under the radar, that's got some decent qualities and decent skills. He's got a good all-round game. He's got good striking. He can wrestle. He can grapple. He's got knockout power, a submission game. So he can do it all as well. Now, for this fight, I feel that Mike Malott is just a better version of Fugit. Like, I don't think Fugit's going to be able to land you know, insanely hard shots on Malott in with enough consistency to be able to start hurting him, rocking him, knocking him out. Of course, we know anything can happen with these four-ounce gloves at the UFC level, but, you know, I think Mike Malott's better than that. And I just kind of feel that when you're looking at all the individual disciplines, the striking, I think Malott's better in regards to speed, movement, volume, power. And then when you look at the wrestling, I think Malott's probably the better wrestler. And then when you look at him, in regards to the grappling, I think Malott's likely the better grappler as well. So, look, although Fugit is just this tough, durable, you know, fighter that's really hard, like I've already said, to look good against, to get at, and to get out of there, you know, he's always going to give you a fight no matter what level he's fighting at. I just can't, like I said, I just feel that Mike Malott is just slightly better in every single area of MMA, and that's 
normally the type those are normally the types of fights where it's really difficult for an opponent to win because whichever way they turn to whichever discipline they turn to because Fuga is well-rounded himself so whichever discipline he turns to I think he's going to be slightly bettered in and Mike Malott's going to have the edge in those specific disciplines so whichever way Fugit turns I just think he's going to be slightly outworked in this fight so for those reasons I'm picking Mike Malott to win this fight and in the next fight we've got Dan Ige versus Nate Landwehr now this is a big step up in competition in my opinion for Nate Landwehr because Dan Ige is still there he's still got it I still think he's got the qualities to be one of the top fighters in the division and similar to what I've just said with Mike Malott and Adam Fugit I do feel that it's a similar thing here I think that Nate Landwehr is a tough fighter he's hard to get at he's hard to put away he's going to be in your face he's going to be aggressive he's just going to be there however from a skill set and discipline perspective I think that Dan Ige is going to be the better striker I think he's the better wrestler and I think he's the better grappler as well so although Nate Lanier Landwehr is going to have his moments in this fight definitely he's going to be aggressive he's going to be you know trying to overwhelm Dan Ige and get in the face of Ige I just feel that again like I said with Fugit whichever way Landwehr turns in this fight whether he decides to start level changing takedowns and looking to get his wrestling going get Dan Ige's back to the mat and get some grappling going or whether he's just trying to be aggressive inside of boxing range and trying to overwhelm Ige with combinations with his boxing low kicks inside the pocket as well I just feel whichever way Landwehr turns Dan Ige is going to be better slightly better in every single area and that's where again like I've just said it's really difficult for fighters to win those types of fights because although they'll be close and they'll be competitive and they'll have absolute moments in the fight it's just they just can't seem to pull away with the fight wherever the fight goes they can't seem to pull away with the striking or they can't seem to start really causing concerns with the wrestling because the wrestling's slightly better on the other side and if the fight does hit the mat it's not as if they can have a ton of top control time or they're a massive threat in regards to a submission perspective and it's just really difficult for that fight that type of fighter to end up getting the hand raised at this level in the UFC and then when you start factoring in that Landwehr is having a massive step up in competition here as well it just makes it that little bit more difficult for him so for all the reasons mentioned I'm picking Danny Gay to win this fight and in the next fight this one's an interesting fight we've got Eric Anders versus Mark andre Barrio. now this is one of these types of fights that I feel like I've seen already like a million times and in the middleweight division in the UFC there's a group of fighters that are all in that mid-range quality that all seem to just fight each other like the Mearsharts and you know there's a ton of other fighters that I can't think of off the top of my head but you'll know what I mean Julian Marquez's and you know Kyle Dorcas is one of them and again all previous opponents of the two opponents that we're two fighters that we've got here so the other similarity is both of these fighters can go on you know one two or three fight losing streaks but then they can look great for the next two or three fights and you're thinking wow like they've turned a corner but then they fall straight back into you know the same sort of poor form as what they had before that winning streak so what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of inconsistency within this mid-range UFC um, middleweight you know types of fights where they're all really well matched and they're all close and competitive fights and I think this is another one of them but they're also really hard to predict at the same time because if Eric Anders shows up and doesn't look 
his usual self or he is on a bit of a poor form himself and Mark andre Barrio turns up and he's exactly the same, poor form, not really himself, then the fight is going to be close and competitive and probably a coin flip fight. Then if both fighters actually do turn up and we see the best version of both fighters, great fight, but guess what? Close, competitive, probably flip a coin. But then here's where it gets interesting. If Eric Anders turns up and Barrio doesn't, Anders will dominate. And if Barrio turns up and Anders doesn't, then Barrio will dominate. And I know this is a bit of a cliche, but this is what's happening in, in, again in this mid-range UFC middleweight type of fight. And we just don't, it's hard to predict what version of each fighter that we're going to get. Now, the one thing that I do think gives an edge in this fight is Barrio has just got this grind to him he's just got this real hard durability a hard man type of you know grind making fights ugly you know a bit of power and I think that Eric Anders if Anders doesn't turn up to be his best then I think he loses the fight regardless because even if Anders is turns up and he's an okay version of himself I still think the okay version of Barrio probably beats Anders, but I do genuinely think in Canada with Barrio having Canadian heritage, I do think that Barrio is going to be the one that's more up for the fight. From a mental perspective, he's going to have the crowd behind him as well. And I kind of feel it's all these little intangibles that might make the difference in this type of fight. But I do think that, look, if Anders comes out there and he starts hitting Barrio with some hard shots, I think Barrio's got the better cardio down the stretch. I think Anders can tire. Then I think that Barrio can tire Anders a little bit more, maybe by clinching up with him, turning his back against the cage. Again, just making it ugly, gritty, dirty, grinding type of fight and really start to wear on Anders and just do solid work on him. So I do think Anders is going to have moments, but the moments are likely going to be more early than late. And for that type of fight, I normally favour the fighter that is going to go the stretch and look better down the stretch, better in the later rounds as well. And that fighter here is going to have the home crowd behind him screaming his name. So I think that Marc-Andre Barrio has got some edges in this fight. But again, if he just doesn't show up, if he's if he just has that poor form performance and it's Anders that shows up, then Anders could look great here as well. But for the sake of the prediction, I am siding with the Canadian. I'm picking Marc-Andre Barrio to win this fight. And in the next fight, this is already a fight that I feel has been you know, doing the rounds on social media. And I think this is going to be the fight where people are going to be going back and forth against each other. We're going to have hardcore predictions on one side and on the opposite side as well. We've got Nasadini Marvov versus Chris Curtis. And it is a really, really good fight. And the best thing about this fight is the fact that, you know, both fighters traditionally are strikers now if you are looking at which fighter is going to be more willing to mix things up and start wrestling and grappling for me that's going to be on the side of Imarvov I just don't see Chris Curtis who I'm pretty sure has not even attempted a single takedown in the UFC I'm pretty sure Chris Curtis isn't going to shoot takedowns here I would be very very surprised if this is the fight that he does that because although Imarvov is a striker himself I do think especially from the defensive wrestling and the defensive grappling perspective he's absolutely better than Curtis what Curtis might be able to offer in regards to his offensive wrestling and grappling so if Curtis is the one that mixes things up and tries to take Imarvov down I'd just be shocked and I just don't think it's going to work or be effective anyway I think if anyone's mixing things up it is a Marvov who we have seen the odd double leg takedown from we have seen the top control time from Imarvov and he actually looks pretty good when he starts to you know his wrestling's not amazing but he's got an ability to take his opponents down but I do think his top control game and his grappling is something that 
is very is a very good aspect of his game, underrated aspect that we don't see too much of. And look, he's not a BJJ ace, and he's not you know a quality of a BJJ black belt. But in MMA, at this level, he has shown that he's got some decent top control time. However, regardless of all that, I do think it's a fight that's going to be won and lost on the feet striking. I think that where Chris Curtis has come unstuck a little bit is when he's faced taller strikers, strikers that you know, are going to have similar technical abilities to him. But with Imarvov, again, I think he's got a more varied attack where he will use kicks as well as his punches, whereas Chris Curtis is very boxing heavy. So for Curtis being the smaller fighter and the boxing heavy fighter, he's got to get into that range of Imarvov, that boxing range. He's got to close the distance consistently and land combinations. And to be honest with you, Chris Curtis does do a good job of that. He comes in, he will close the distance and he will land combinations, rip into the head and body, making his opponent start guessing where it's coming. Is the pun- Are the punches coming low? Are they coming high? And Curtis does a really good job. The thing is, you look back at the Hermanson fight with Chris Curtis. Hermanson, he just was on his bike all, you know, all fight, moving laterally, backing off, exiting, back out into the centre of the cage, landing kicks and long strikes. He's the taller striker again, or the taller fighter, should I say. And... It just really frustrated Curtis that he couldn't get into that range in that fight because the kicks were keeping him at range. And that's not only a blueprint of how to beat Chris Curtis if you have that right frame, but Imarvov does have that right frame and Imarvov also has that style, but Imarvov, in my opinion, does it better than what Hermanson does. So I kind of think that Chris Curtis is going to have his work cut out from here it's not going to be like Gastelum where they're both similar height short and they both need to get into boxing range to start getting the both of their games going and we just got a clash of two bulls with Chris Curtis and Kelvin Gastelum last time out Imarov's a different fighter and from a striking stylistic perspective he should have edges where it gets a little bit concerning for Imarov though is the gas tank and we saw that in the Hermanson fight as well because look you've got to analyze everything in the fight and although Hermanson looked great and frustrated Curtis, because of all that movement that Amanson had to do inside the cage, he ended up tiring out. And we've seen Imarvov tire out in third rounds as well. So it might be a case of, look, Imarvov does some great work round one and two, and then it's getting very close in round three, and Curtis is putting the pressure on and looking for a, a knockdown or a knockout or something to just really get him advancing in that third round to potentially finish the fight. That is a concern from Imarvov's perspective. So look, this is MMA and there's no clear cut fight that's easy and, you know, going to be without concern from the other side. And that's Imarvov. That, that's Imarvov and his issues in this fight, in my opinion. The gas tank, I think Curtis could put it on him late. But from, like I said, from a striking stylistic perspective, is towards Imarvov, in my opinion. He should have the edge there. And then when you think of the more willing wrestler and grappler, how much it's factored in, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a great deal, if I'm being honest. But analysing that as well, I do think it's something that has to be taken into consideration as a multiple pass the victory perspective. So, yeah, look, I think Imarvov, it's going to be a close fight, a competitive fight. I think Curtis is going to have his moments. I think both fighters are going to end up in a firefight. And in that type of fight, it could go either way. But from a technical perspective and a technical analysis perspective, I just have to side with Imarvov here just because I think he's the more varied fighter and where the fight should be won and lost, which is on the feet, in my opinion. So for those reasons, I'm picking Nasadini Marvov to win this fight.
And in the next fight, we've got Jasmine Jasvadicius versus Miranda Maverick. And again, it's going to be a pretty similar breakdown to, you know, a couple of fights that I've already done, the Mike Malott fight, the Dan Ige fight, because I kind of feel that both fighters are very similar in style. It's just Miranda Maverick is the better version of Jasmine Jasvadicius. So this is going to be a real mouthful, by the way, Jasmine Jasvadicius and Miranda Maverick. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, I feel like the the very similar fighters, I think that, Maverick's going to be the better striker. I think she's going to be the better wrestler. Or maybe the better wrestler. I'm not sure. This is the thing. Like Jasmine Jasvidicius, one the one side of Jasvidicius's game that is really good is the is the wrestling. But again, it's the more of the wrestling background apart opposed to, you know, how she's adapted that wrestling into MMA. So this is why I'm a little bit unsure from the wrestling perspective. But if the fight hits the mat, I think Miranda Maverick is by far the better fighter. I think Maverick will be able to get back up to her feet if she is taken down. I just think she'll be able to defend takedowns anyway. And if there is any takedowns, successful takedowns, I do think they're more likely to be on the side of Maverick. And then if Maverick's on top of Jasvidicius, I think that's a completely different level as well. I don't think Jasvidicius gets back up to her feet and has a more comfortable time of grappling like Maverick would if Maverick was on her back. So again, there's just a lot going for Miranda Maverick in this fight. Like I said, better striker, likely going to be the more successful offensive wrestler, just because I think, although Jasvidicius's offensive wrestling is good, I think Maverick's defensive wrestling is better than the defensive wrestling of Jasvidicius. And then if the fight hits the mat, if Ma if Maverick's on her back, I think she'll get back up. If she's on top, I don't think Jasvidicius does. So you can see where this fight's going. I feel like it could go anywhere, striking, wrestling, grappling, but wherever it goes, Maverick should be the better fighter. So for those reasons, I'm picking Miranda Maverick to win this fight. And in the next fight, we've got Eamon Zahabi versus Arichi Lang. And I think this could be a pretty explosive fight, if I'm being honest, because look, I've never been sold on Eamon Zahabi. At least I don't think I have in memory, even though he had a lot of hype on him when he first came into the UFC, because obviously he's the brother of, you know, Faraz Zahabi, who owns TriStar, you know, one of the original OG gyms in MMA. But I'm pretty confident in saying, look, he's never really turned out to be what a lot of people thought he was going to be. But with that being said, Zahabi has done decent in his last couple of fights. You know, he got a big knockout win against Draco Rodriguez. Then he went in there against Ricky Tercios. Ricky Tercios, that was the surprising one for me because I did think Tercios was going to run through Zahabi with speed, movement. Again, I just thought he had Zahabi's number wherever the fight goes. But Tercios, I don't know what it was with Zahabi, whether Zahabi just didn't engage how Tercios expected him to and therefore it threw Tercios off his game a little bit and he couldn't get anything going and then Zahabi started being able to pick away at him. But even when you go back and look at that fight, it's not a fight where... You know, Zahabi's put it on Tercios over three rounds and looks super effective and impressive. You know, Zahabi did a decent job. He did just enough to be able to win the fight against Tercios. So it wasn't anything that really blew me away. So again, it's not the type of performance that's making me change my mind in regards to me being sold on Zahabi as a fighter. Now, with Arichi Lang, Arichi Lang is, you know, not the best fighter from a defensive striking perspective, like he leaves himself open to be a hit, but the dude's durable. He's one of these types of fighters that he'll try and overwhelm his opponent, get in the face of his opponent, and just won't 
be easy again to get out of there. And when you hit him with your hardest shots, he's still going to be there. But again, the worrisome side of Arichi Lang's game is, you know, we've seen it a couple of times in round three. You know, he's he's battered his opponent round one and two. He's knocked them down a couple of times. Then it gets to round three. And you're thinking, well, all he has to do is just see this round out. If he doesn't get a finish, fine. He's going to get a decision. But then he gets caught in these brawls and wars when he's a little bit more tired and then his hands start dropping and his opponents start being able to land clean on him and you know it's the last 10 seconds and his his opponent's got his back against the cage and landing a barrage of strikes in combinations and you're thinking oh my god Arija Lang could go down at any time here but then he survives and then wins the 29-28 so it's not as if Arija Lang comes into this fight without some issues himself it's just like I say, I'm not really being sold on Zahabi. He's 35 years old now as well, so I just cannot see any sort of changes or advancing developments and improvements within his game. And again, I could be wrong, but at 35, it's not very common we see that. I think Zahabi is a finished product at this point in regards to not him being finished as a fighter, but you know, a fighter that's not going to you know, the version that we see of Zahabi now is probably the same version we're going to see for the next three or four fights and have seen for the last two or three. So I don't think Zahabi's going to look too different. And I think if we get the same Zahabi that we have got in his last previous couple of fights and, you know, even in his UFC career, I just don't think Zahabi's improved too much. I think Arichi Lang can put it on Zahabi. Zahabi does find does have a habit of finding some decent holes where he can land a hard shot or two. So, you know, Arichi Lang's got to be careful of that. But I think Arichi Lang's durable enough here to be able to take those one or two shots and then bang, fire a hard combination himself, potentially hurt Zahabi. I just think Zahabi's not going to be able to keep up with the volume, the work rate, the pace and the pressure that Arichi Lang provides in his fight. So for those reasons, I'm picking Arichi Lang to win this fight. And in the next fight, we've got Blake Builder versus Kyle Nelson. Blake Builder coming off the win against Shane Young in his UFC debut. I cashed Builder there as an underdog. I think it was like plus 130 or plus 135, maybe. I can't remember the exact number, but a really good cash. A fight that ended up actually closer than what I anticipated. But, you know, Blake Builder, UFC debut against Shane Young. That You know, you can say what you want about Shane Young, but he's going to be there. And he's going to give a performance and he's going to make it not easy for an opponent, especially at the level of, you know, someone making the UFC debut. But Blake Builder did the job. He, again, didn't really look too much himself, but there could have been some debut jitters in there. Kyle Nelson, though, I think that Blake Builder's a bigger favourite in this fight than what I expected him to be. But at the same time, I did expect Builder to be... A favourite is roughly around minus 200, minus 250, depending on what book is that you're looking at. But Builder for me here is, as long as he doesn't get caught with a big punch from Nelson, because Nelson does hit hard, you can't take that away from Nelson. I think Builder's going to have a lot of success in this fight. Builder's a good striker himself, power himself. He's just got to be careful that he doesn't get sloppy, lose any sort of concentration and get knocked out. But outside of that, I think that Builder could beat Kyle Nelson over a 15-minute kickboxing fight. I think that Builder can take Nelson down. I think Builder's going to be absolutely the better grappler on top. I think if Builder does get Nelson down, he's going to sub him. I genuinely think the gap in skill between Builder and Nelson's grappling is massive in this fight. And that's where Builder should focus getting the fight, in my opinion. Because like I say, I think if Builder gets Nelson down, two things. I don't think Nelson's getting back up to his feet after a takedown and, the, after a takedown and being settled on his back. And I think that Builder has every chance of subbing Kyle Nelson. I think where Nelson might have success in this fight is if there's 
large portions of the fight that are in the clinch. I think Nelson might be a little bit more physical, a little bit stronger than Builder. But outside of that, outside of some physicality advantage and the puncher's chance, I just don't think Kyle Nelson's going to be where he needs to be from a skill set perspective to beat Blake Builder. I think Builder, like I said, he's going to have some success striking, but I do think he's going to get his wrestling going, get Nelson down to the bat, and I do think he's going to get him out of there as well. So for those reasons, I'm picking Blake Builder to win this fight. And in the next fight, we've got David Dvorak versus Steve Erseg. Now, Dvorak was supposed to fight Matt Schnell. Matt Schnell's had to pull out. I really don't know who's got the unluckiest career in the UFC out of Matt Schnell and Alex Perez, who I think we're due to fight each other about four or five times as well, and that never happened. But look, Matt Schnell's out. Steve Erseg's come in. And look, Steve Erseg was due to fight in the UFC and make his debut. I think it was a couple of months ago. So he has been preparing for a fight at this level in the UFC as well. He's known that the UFC have signed him. So it's not as if it's a short notice opponent where he's coming into the UFC having no idea that the UFC were looking at him or sofa surfing straight from that sofa into the cage either. You know, he's been training, he's been active. He knows that he will have had a fight booked after his last fight fell through. And look, Steve Erseg, he reminds me of a lesser version of Brandon Royval. You know, he's he's a bit long, he's a bit skinny, but he's got, you know, he's happy striking, even though it's not the most technical striking, he'll throw down, he has no problem exchanging punches, but then he's got a really good grappling game and that's where his, you know, that's where his bread and butter lies. He's a grappler and a good grappler, good submissions. And I think that he could pose David Dvorak some problems here. Does he get the job done? I'm not sure. Does he finish Dvorak? I think it's tough to ask. But I do think that it's going to be competitive in moments and potentially more competitive than some people realise. However, the thing is, David Dvorak is still a top fighter. His striking is going to be absolutely better than Erseg's. So even if it's a case of Erseg needs to get his striking going to close the distance and get into, you know, range enough range to be able to enter into a takedown and try and take Dvorak down, I think Dvorak's hands, the power that he possesses is could be enough to maybe just halt Erseg's forward pressure and therefore deny the good entries into the takedowns. But then if Erseg does get into a takedown position, I think Dvorak's got decent wrestling. Could he get taken down? Sure. But he has also got a decent grappling game where he can probably get back up to his feet. Where Erseg's going to have to need to push this fight is if he does get that takedown on Dvorak or if he gets a half takedown against the cage, just try and put a hook in and try and get around to his back and drag him down to the mat whilst taking his back. I think that's where, ultimately like what Charles Oliveira does in a way. And like I say, Brandon Royval, I think that Erseg's best opportunity is, is going to try and to be taking the back during a scramble or a get-up from Dvorak. But outside of that, I do think Dvorak's going to be the better striker. I think his wrestling's good enough. His defensive grappling should be good enough to get him out of, you know, a, a situation, a dangerous situation should one arise. I think Steve Erseg, if he submits Dvorak and gets his hand raised at the end of the night, I'm not going to be shocked, is all I'm saying. You know, Erseg's a good grappler, he's a good fighter. But I do think Dvorak is just better at this point. He's going to have had a full camp to this date, whereas Erseg will have had half a camp and then that cancel fight and then maybe another half camp. So there's a few intangibles that are on the side of Dvorak. Dvorak's also got the UFC experience. And like I say, I, I think that Dvorak at this point is the slightly better fighter. So for those reasons, I'm picking David Dvorak to win this fight. 
And in the final fight to break down of this episode of the podcast, we've got a pick'em, a rightful pick'em, a coin flip fight. It's really, really difficult to, you know, be confident in predicting a winner here. We've got Diana Belbita versus Mia, Maria Oliveira. And like I say, the fight's going to be super close. I've got no idea what's going to happen, if I'm being totally honest with you. You know, both fighters are predominant strikers. You know, Belbita may be a little bit more aggressive, Oliveira a little bit more as a counter-striker. Belbita being a bit more, you know, pressure-heavy boxing type of striker, whereas Maria Oliveira is definitely more of a Muay Thai type of striker. Then when it comes to the wrestling, both fighters will mix in sporadic, you know, takedown attempts, whether that be a trip or a throw or a drag down. But then both fighters aren't really solid grapplers either at this level in the UFC. Again, predominant strikers, and that's fine as long as they've got a predominant strong side. You know, you don't have to be the best fighter everywhere to be a UFC fighter. So, look, you know, both fighters have got high volume. Both fighters get hit more than you'd like as well. Literally, it's almost looking at looking into a mirror for both fighters with the opponent that they've got in front of them. So it's a very difficult fight to break down because of that. I am going to be siding with Belbita for the sake of a prediction because I have to give one. You know, I'm not going to sit on the fence. And the, the only real reason is, you know, I think the pressure... The forward pressure and the aggression, having those very, very slight edges over Oliveira might just be able to be enough to, you know, get her the win. But again, if Maria Oliveira wins this fight, it's like, look, it's going to be close, competitive. Both fighters are going to have the moments. It could be one of these horrible split decisions where nobody's got a clue what's gone on, what the judges have scored. But again, I'm not going to sit on the fence from a prediction. So when you're asking me for a reason why I'm having to side with one of these fighters, the slight pressure and aggression of the side of Belbita is what's swaying me towards her. So for those reasons, I'm picking Diana Belbita to win this fight. And that's all for this episode of the podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you're not on one of our podcast platforms, such as Apple Music, Amazon, Spotify, Buzzsprout, if you're not on any of those and you are listening on YouTube, then please give the video a like. Please subscribe to the channel. That really helps us with the subscriptions to the YouTube channel. The more subscriptions that we get, the bigger the channel can grow. And also with the comments as well. I do always try and get back to comments. You know, sometimes my weeks are super busy. Like I was cornering five fighters over about 10 fights this weekend. So Again, busy week preparing for that. And, you know, I've not been able to get around to some of the comments, but I do try my best. But again, all the comments and all the replies and things like that, the conversations that happen on YouTube are really good for the YouTube algorithms as well and getting the video out there, the well, the breakdowns out there to more people. So again, thank you for all the support as always. I'm Newsom, and I'll be back again next week.